from Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. From Acts 4.18-20. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And then Acts 4, 29-31. And now, Lord, look upon their heart threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. So 2020 has been marked by uncertainty. Nobody foresaw the effects of COVID-19. Nobody knew what would happen in the world because of it. And we still don't know how long it's going to disrupt our lives, even though the vaccines are rolling out. And many are just living in fear of the virus as if it were the greatest threat to their existence. And then throw into the mix the political upheavals in America around the world Um, you know, we've only got three weeks until the inauguration and there's still uncertainty about the outcome. And half the American people believe that the election was stolen. And many on all sides fear for the future. And for Christians, this world has become a much more threatening place. Uh, The political correctness of the far left has targeted Bible-believing Christians as their greatest threat and are systematically working to silence our voices in the public square. They are doing so through what has become known as cancel culture. Uh, To be canceled is to be excluded from society. Uh, This does not mean simply not being invited to the right parties. or excluded from the right clubs. This is punishing people for their deeply held beliefs by destroying their livelihoods and their reputations. The cake baker in Colorado can testify to that, as well as the florist in Washington. Now they're going after pharmacists and physicians. They're targeting lawyers and politicians, and celebrities, and sports figures. And all you have to do is look at the headlines to know that this is true. Last year, Out Magazine, that's a gay magazine, they ran this article with the title, NFL Quarterback Appears in Commercial for Anti-Gay Extremists. So who are these extremists? Well, it's an organization that I'm sure you're all familiar with. Focus on the family. (laughs) The quarterback is Drew Drew Brees. 
and he appeared in a video promoting Bring Your Bible to School Day. So what is the extreme things that he's promoting? He said, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5-7. For we live by faith and not by sight. I want to encourage you to live out your faith on Bring Your Bible to School Day and share God's love with friends. You're not alone. That was it. That's the whole commercial. Apparently it's extreme to believe the Bible and to be proud of it. And from an organization called Out Sports, there was recently published this article. Zero NFL players choose LGBTQ cause for their cleats. Three support anti-gay group. This is talking about a program called My Cleats, My Cause. And players choose a charity to support, and they print that charity on their cleats. So what is this anti LGBTQ group, anti-gay group that these three players chose. It sounds like this is an organization that exists for the purpose of opposing the gay agenda. Well, the organization is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. In the article, they named these three Christian athletes who support the FCA in order to shame them. So what's the purpose of the FCA? This is from their website. Their vision is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. And their mission is to lead every coach and athlete into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. So radical. Isn't that terrible of them to want to do that? The reason they're dubbed anti-gay is because of their statement of faith, which defines marriage as between a man and a woman. Something that the world has accepted up until just a few minutes ago. And they believe that sex is exclusively reserved for marriage between a man and a woman. So that makes every Bible-believing church, every parachurch organization, every missions organization, and simply any individual who believes what the Bible teaches, it makes them all anti-gay anti-LGBTQ. And those who are promoting the sexual revolution are using every legal and cultural means to silence us. In the name of tolerance, they won't tolerate anybody who disagrees with them. So the temptation then for us as Christians is to retreat out of fear but this is not a time to shrink back. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. 2020 was a year of fear and uncertainty, and I doubt if 2021 is going to be any better. Uh, This year, Christians will more than ever need to have courage. So more and more, you and I are being pressured to go along, to get along, and to keep our opinions to ourselves, keep our faith private, and not rock the boat. A few weeks ago, 
in a sermon, I mentioned the Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who exposed the atrocities of the Soviet regime. He's the one that said that communism took hold in Russia because they forgot God. And he warned that the same thing, he saw the same thing happening in America. In 1970, before the fall of the USSR, he wrote this article urging his fellow Russians to have courage in the face of communist oppression. The article was called Live Not By Lies. This is, this is what he wrote. He said, Things have almost reached rock bottom. A universal spiritual death has already touched us all, and physical death will soon flare up and consume our children. We have been so hopelessly dehumanized that for today's ration of food, we are willing to abandon all our principles. He says that lies can only be maintained by violence. But lies can't stand up in the face of truth. The article is an exhortation not only to refuse to participate in the lies, but to stand up and denounce them. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to speak the truth. So he sternly exhorts his fellow Russians. He says, And he who is not sufficiently courageous to defend his soul, let him say to himself, I am a part of the herd and a coward. It's all the same to me as long as I'm fed and kept warm. Well, thankfully, enough of the Russian people did quit living by lies and the Berlin Wall came down, and the Soviet Union folded. The modern Christian author named Rod Dreher, and he sees parallels between communist Russia and what he calls the soft totalitarianism that's taking over our culture today. He took Solzhenitsyn's title for the title of his new book, Live Not by Lies. That soft totalitarianism that Dreher is talking about is exactly the kind of thing I was just describing. The attempt to silence Christian voices. Dreher says that we need to see ourselves as dissidents and oppose the agenda of the far left. He's calling Christians to have the courage to refuse to live by lies and not to give up the fight. So I want to take us through what the first Christians experienced in chapter 4 of the book of Acts to get a picture of what courage looks like, what, what courage to live the Christian life looks like. And in that passage, I find several things that courage is not. Courage is not optional for the believer. It is not safe. It's not passive but it is not in vain. So the story begins in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, they the apostles, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be around 5,000. 
So the apostles had gathered this large crowd when they healed a man who was crippled from birth. Everybody knew the guy. And then the religious authorities heard about it, and they came and had them arrested and asked them, by what authority do you preach and do you heal? And Peter proceeds to tell them that that authority comes from Christ. And then he clearly lays out the gospel to them in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, the leaders didn't like that. So they got into a huddle, and they tried to figure out what they were going to do to stop these guys. And then in verse 18, it says, So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Well, that brings us to the first thing that courage is not. For the believer, courage is not optional. This is how they responded. Verse 19. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Why isn't it optional? It's not optional for believers who call Jesus their Lord to disobey him. It clearly says here, that they're obeying God. We've been given the Great Commission. We've been commanded to speak, just like they have, they were. And we are to disciple all nations. We're to teach them everything that Jesus has taught us. To neglect that and just retreat into our comfortable Christian huddles is disobedience probably the most familiar verse in the Bible about courage is from Joshua 1.9. He tells, God tells Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And he's with us. He had ordered Joshua to take the promised land and that meant going to war. That meant danger. Which brings us to the next thing, that courage is not. Courage isn't safe. Courage will cause problems. Courage may cause you pain. For some, courage may get them imprisoned or even killed. Next chapter of Acts, the apostles were arrested again. Eventually, Stephen was stoned. James was killed. And most of the Christians in Jerusalem were run out of town. That's harsh reality. But Christians should expect this. Yet it has been downplayed in many American churches. Uh, We've been so blessed with peace and prosperity in this country for so long that anything contrary to our own comfort is almost unthinkable. Rod Dreher says it this way, 
Relatively few contemporary Christians are prepared to suffer for the faith because the therapeutic society that has formed them denies the purpose of suffering in the first place. And the idea of bearing pain for the sake of truth seems ridiculous. Dreher calls ours a therapeutic society. When something's therapeutic, it makes you feel good, makes you feel better, right? So Christian theologian Francis Schaeffer called this mindset the values of personal peace and affluence. He said affluence means things, things, things. Things, always more things. And success in life is seen as the abundance of things. And then personal peace means I want to be left alone. I don't care what happens to the man across the street or across the world. I want my lifestyle to be undisturbed regardless of what it will mean, even to my own children and grandchildren. You might object to that and say, well, most people aren't that heartless. I mean, most people care about their children and grandchildren, don't they? Well, our national debt seems to argue against that. Um, It's dramatically increased since the 70s. Today, it's $27.5 trillion. That's over $83,000 for every person alive in America. That means that we're leaving that debt to our kids and our grandkids. And it's personal peace and affluence that drive those kind of irresponsible policies. The majority of Americans vote for politicians who give them what they want. And it's not a partisan thing either. That debt has risen under both Democratic and public Republican leadership. Another way we see our unconcern for our children and our grandchildren is in the complete takeover of the public schools and universities by radical leftists who hate Christianity. They systematically present a totally secular worldview and aggressively attack biblical values. And we just keep sending our kids like lambs to the slaughter. We need to take a stand against the hijacking of our families. However we can, homeschool, join the PTA, run for the school board, vote for candidates who you know have biblical values. But be prepared for the backlash. Let me leave this point on suffering with three verses to remind us of our place in this world. Jesus said in John 15:18, "If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you." And John 15:20, "Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours." And then the apostle Paul in Colossians 1:24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Our sufferings as believers are not a punishment for sin. It's a means to grow the body of Christ. And we must see that our suffering is for others. 
just like Jesus suffering on the cross was for us. The next thing that suffering is not, it's not passive. The truth is aggressive. The Great Commission says, go. Don't wait around for them to come to you. So the apostles didn't waste any time. As soon as they were released from prison, they went out again with the gospel. Acts 4, 29. And they're praying. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Even in the face of the threat, the disciples continued on with their mission, but they didn't go in their own strength. They prayed for boldness, and they received supernatural boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit. They overcame their fear of death and the suffering that they might have to experience for being obedient. And God gave them the courage to do that. He gave them the courage to accomplish that task. Now, I hope I've not given you the impression that this is an easy thing. It's not. It's natural to want to avoid death. And when suffering is inevitable, it's natural to want to escape it even through suicide. I found this quote from an old Puritan preacher that captures this well. Pastor Swinnick said, He that would not die when he must, and he that would die when he must not, are both of them cowards alike. And then he goes on to explain it. He says, To desire to live... When one is called to die is a sign of cowardice. For such a one is afraid to enter the list with the king of terrors. What's the list? The list is the battlefield. To desire to die when one is called to live speaks a faint-hearted creature. For such a man dares not look an affliction or disaster in the face, therefore would take shelter in death. I don't know about you, but I have prayed sometimes at times for God to take my life. Um, But none of us have ever been threatened with death by the government. But you can't rule out that possibility. History is full of examples where things have changed overnight and suddenly Christianity was illegal. In fact, it's happening today in some places in the Middle East, and in Africa. Radical Islam comes in, and all of a sudden, Christians are put to death. But you and I can face other devastating kinds of threats. Believing in Jesus could cost you the loss of prestige or a close family relationship or your job. And sometimes it's just 
the tragedy of life itself and nothing to do with our stand for Christ that makes us want to give up. But in all those circumstances, we are still Christ's representative. And cowardice by running away or through suicide is never the answer for the believer. In the strength of Christ, we can step in to the battle. So in the end, what will the outcome be if we refuse to live by lies and courageously live and speak the truth? Well, the Bible's clear. If you live courageously for Jesus, nothing you do will be in vain. First, when you live courageously for the Lord in the face of hostility, people are going to notice it. Look at Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that cool? The focus was taken off of them and put on Jesus. And when people see courage being lived out, it becomes contagious. And that's how the body of Christ grows. Here's the Apostle Paul in writing from a prison cell. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It's powerful. It's powerful when we live courageously. So finally, I want to arm you with two verses that every believer should commit to memory. And I'm sure they're familiar to you. The first one is from the Old Testament, and it speaks to God's unstoppable sovereignty in history. It's a beautiful passage from Isaiah chapter 55, and I encourage you to write that down, Isaiah 55, and just go read it this afternoon. Take you a couple minutes. But in it, the Lord bids everyone who is thirsty to come to him. That's a spiritual thirst. It's the same thirst that Jesus offered to quench to the woman at the well. And this quenching can't be bought by money, Isaiah tells us, but is freely given when someone enters in to the covenant that God made with his servant David. That covenant that culminates with the Messiah who comes to pay for the sins of the world by dying on the cross. And Isaiah pleads for everyone to seek the Lord while, they may, while he may be found. And then he gives the illustration of how snow and rain produce growth on the earth. And he says God's word is just like that. Isaiah 55:11 is the verse. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That same word has been entrusted to you and me. When we faithfully speak his word in the midst of a lost world, it will have the effect that God intends. 
We may not see those effects in this life, but you can be confident that there are eternal effects and we'll understand it better on the other side. And the other verse is from the Apostle Paul, and it applies this principle to you and to me personally. Paul has just spoken of our guaranteed victory over the world and the absolute certainty of our obtaining new bodies when we die. And he concludes with this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. You could put courage in there, right? Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Not one thing that you do or say as a Christian will be for nothing. It will always bear fruit. So, what are you and I supposed to do with all this? I mean, should we go out and start picking fights? Well, yes and no. No, we shouldn't make an issue over every little challenge to the truth. We have to be wise in our speech. But we need to be prepared to live courageously in the face of challenges to the gospel. So Rod Dreher in his book, he has this threefold approach for being a Christian dissident, and I like it. It's see, judge, and act. So see means to acknowledge the reality of the situation. Don't put your head under the covers. Don't be an ostrich. Find out what's going on. So if this idea of soft totalitarianism is new to you, you need to inform yourself. You know, Dreher's book would be a good place to start. And then judge. Assess the reality in light of what we know as Christians to be true. And the Bible is our guide. Nothing else provides a solid ground for truth. And then act. Take action to protect the truth. You do this however God has equipped you to do it and however God leads you to do it. The possibilities are endless. So let's step into 2020 with courageous hearts and face those challenges that await us out there. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you strengthen us, that you give us hope, that even though this life is full of challenges, this life is full of dangers and hostility, Lord, we know that you're with us and that you will be with us and that you will win in the end and carry us along with you. So, Father, this year, give us courage. Help us to speak your word. Help us to speak the truth in love that we might draw all men to you. We give you praise and honor in the name above all names, Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right. May the God of peace go with you throughout your week and give you courage 
to live for him. Go in peace.